0: Welcome to a special International Women's Day edition of The Other Podcast. I'm Deirdre O'Rolle. I'm Jane Gleeson. The Other Project is an initiative designed to address gender disparity in the creative industries. So Jane and I have been looking at the 75-25 gender divide in various design disciplines since college and we began The Other Project with a podcast as a way of gathering practical information from people who would already overcome uh, particular problems or issues in their own discipline. We're now beginning the second phase of the project, which is the other mentoring programme. And we're very excited to be launching on the 8th of March for International Women's Day. We've paired mentors and mentees that we think will be able to learn a lot from each other
1: and hopefully their professional relationships will last for ages after the, the end of the project. So an important aspect of the project that we're really enthusiastic about is the ability to create more opportunities for women in the design workforce. So it made sense for us to interview two people with a range of experiences involved in creating opportunities for women in the design and creative industries. For this episode, we spoke to Aidan Miguel from designtalent.ie and Kim McKenzie-Doyle, former president of the IDI, and the brains behind Mind Over Matter and Why Design. Throughout the course of this podcast, we discussed various strategies that need to be adopted in order to create more balanced and equal opportunities in the design and creative industries. So Aidan came to the table with a background in recruitment with Accenture, while Kim started off in the design workforce as a product designer in an organization that was primarily dominated by male colleagues. Enjoy the episode, and if you ever think of any topics that you'd like to hear from us, do feel free to contact us at hello at atftalks.com as we'd love to hear your input. Enjoy!
2: Kim. I am Head of Marketing and Product in Voxgig and I'm also founder of WhyDesign.ie and Mind Over Matter. Both are initiatives founded from my presidential term, Institute of Designers Ireland.
3: So I'm Aidan McGill. I'm a design headhunter. I run a company called Affinity Recruitment and I'm also launching uh, designtalent.ie, which is a job board for designers in Ireland and also involved in the Y Design initiative.
1: The topic that we're really focusing on today is kind of creating more opportunities for women in the creative industry. And you obviously both come from a design background, so it's a really interesting area for us to look at because as some of the listeners may or may not know, the statistic um, of designers' um, in Ireland at the minute, is at 75-25. So there are only 25% females in the design workforce at the minute. And if you look in more detail, you'll see that at collegiate level, um, the statistics, the ratio is quite balanced. And then when you get to the workforce, all of these female designers just seem to drop off, and it would be great to kind of understand why, I guess. Um, And why design is an initiative that is trying to redress that and really look into it by creating role models for um, these kind of early... Uh, maybe potential designers. So Kim, I'd love to hear more about the reason you set up that.
2: Yeah, I think um, from from my own career, I was the first female uh, designer hired in design partners a long time ago. And it always kind of um, surprised me that there wasn't any, you know, industrial designers that were female that I had to aspire to get there. Um and at a level to get there. And, and I really want to um, make the incredible female desires we have in Ireland more visible because you see a lot of, of male desires are very comfortable in, in speaking, very comfortable in uh, turning up and talking um, as, as guests and putting their hand up and saying, yes, I'll do that. But there didn't seem to be enough women doing that. So we, we wanted to create uh, something that was readily available to absolutely everybody. So it was really accessible um, for non-designers and designers alike, or aspiring designers, uh, second-level female students, so that, to give them uh, a way to connect with these women. So, you know, I think there's this fear of um, approaching anybody in the industry, but it's actually the best thing you can do is actually ask somebody for a little bit of advice, and 99% they will give you a, a cup of coffee. That equivalent of time to chat about your your potential career, and um, I think that's really valuable. And I think what Why Design does is actually opens those kind of doors of the first steps because it's it's somebody in Cork or somebody in Dublin, and they just live down the road, and they they have started up their own company or they're they've got that job, and it's they're there, and you know we need to see more of that, and so why design kind of answers that question for second level female students if they're talking to their parents or the teachers or the guidance counsellors i you know i want to be a designer they say well why design they can just show up the the platform to them and that answers all the questions so we wanted to um, obviously showcase the female designers and give a little bit of their story but also give a national overview of the creative courses so if you're in Ladder you'll know that there's something in Cork, or if you're in Cardall, you know there's something in Belfast or Dublin. So it's just to make design a little bit more accessible to everybody.
1: That's brilliant. So when I was in school, I went to my um, career advisor, mm-hmm. and uh, actually architecture and graphic design were two areas of interest at the time. I was, in, I was doing art, and we had done a little bit of research into architecture, and various kind of different forms of design I loved it and I brought up the idea of potentially doing architecture or graphic design in response to architecture she was just like oh right are you into construction and I was just like no not really and then when I said graphic design she was like oh you need to be like really good with a computer and like, it completely put me off and if you were actually you know given a resource that is accessible like Y design I feel like yeah. it will be way more inviting and it will welcome people into the in- industry a lot more so it's great
0: no, I was the same. Like you go, I think I was in second year, really. Well, the end of first year in college, before I even understood what design was, because you just have nothing to go off. Like you know what fine art is, and your teachers are like, okay, uh, she likes painting, yeah, yeah, we'll push her towards there or whatever. But um, then you get to college, and they're like, no, you're not fine art. What are you talking about? And <laughs> kind of push you the other direction. To have people who, to have women who are championed and kind of given a platform for young women to look up to is incredible, and. I, I wish I had that a few years ago. Um, yeah,
3: I, I found the 75 25 stat really startling when I first got involved with Y Design. It wasn't something I was conscious of, and I think, um, especially the fact when you drill down into it, like you said, Jane, and it's almost a 50-50 split at collegiate level, it's a sort of question you really have to ask yourself, what is happening here? And you probably know this, but there's a kind of famous study, it was a Hewlett-Packard internal report, and it said that women will apply for a role when they meet 100% of the criteria. Um, yeah. Men will apply when they meet 60%. And I think that's interesting on the face of it, but there was actually, a, I think it was a Harvard Business Review sort of further report into that, and they asked 1,000 men and women, uh, the last job you didn't apply for, what was the reason you didn't re- didn't apply? And the overwhelming response from both men and women was, I didn't meet the requirements, therefore I felt like it was a waste of my time and effort. And I think that's what a lot of this comes back to. If we try and understand 50-50 at collegiate level, 75-25 in the workplace, what's happening there? And it's probably, you know, if you were to try and make a guess at what's happening, the way we're framing our roles is off-putting to women who are entering the sector and who are then trying to progress through. Because, you know, if that 60%, 100% bears bears out, it means that women are less likely to put themselves in a position where they feel I'm not going to get this role, so I'm just not going to enter into this process. So it's about, you know, people like me as a recruiter and the companies that I work with trying to arrive at ways that we can humanize the job spec, we can humanize the process, we can make it more transparent, and we can actually set it up that we get a lot more people into the beginning of the process and we ultimately come to the end of it with the right um, candidates that we hire. So, I think that's where there's a lot of work to be done. And the, one of the hardest things we found, Kim, when we were talking about why design is the actual hard data to mm-hmm. understand because bridging that gap and understanding what happens from collegiate level to entering the workplace, there's no hard data there. So it's mm-hmm. very hard. We're, we're, we're just guessing, really, mm-hmm. at this stage. And I think there's work to be done on that.
2: Absolutely. And and another startling statistic getting into that set of things with 11% female creative directors, which I think is just absolutely shocking. So, you know, when you talk about the, the bad word which begins with family, <laughs> like that always comes into conversations and women have to weigh up, right, do I take on a more senior role or do I concentrate on my family? And the way the country is set up is just, you know, it doesn't allow women to achieve um, seniority or success so, you know, from a government level, this really has to change. And, and until parental leave is equalized, you're, you're always going to have that conversation. Is it, you know, the, the the women's responsibility to look after the family and let the, the, the male partners have the the, the career? Mm. Um, and until that's resolved, I think we're always on the back foot a little bit because, you know, people and companies and the majority of companies will always have it in the back of the head right is she going to take six months of maternity leave? That's is, that's going to affect her career. That's going to affect my clients. It's going to affect my revenue. When the actual truth is having more women in senior roles brings in clients. It uh, adds value to the team, to the diversity of thought. And, you know, we want we need to champion these women because they bring so much to companies, so much wealth and value and knowledge and and drive different perspectives. And um, and that shouldn't even be in the part of the equation. So I think we all need to change kind of perspectives around that, and especially when we get to a hiring level, we need to make specific decisions around everybody in 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 the company that it's a it's a staff driven rather than a you know female male perspective. Yeah,
3: And the reality is the way the the rate of adoption of design at the moment into sectors that it's never lived in before means that you know, this war, the famous war on talent, that is getting progressively more challenging for companies. And, you know, I'm at the coal face having companies contact me to look for designers every day of the week. And the reality is they just want the right person to fill the role. They want the right skills. And very seldom will they say, you know, we really want you to try and consider, can we get a woman into this role? You know, we really want to make sure that you're getting applications from as diverse a range of places. But that's not the conversation, to be honest. You know, the conversation is, we desperately need a creative director. Yeah. Can you go and find us one? And I think until there's a change in that attitude mm. and, you know, there are some companies who are doing a lot of really good work in that space and, you know, put that at the top of their agenda. But the reality is, when you get down into smaller companies... It's about getting someone in because we have clients waiting for the work and we need this done now. Yeah. And, you know, that just all rolls up into a situation where we're, where we're at now, which is, you know, 11% of female creative directors. Yeah. That, that's a crazy it's stat. Sh- it's shocking. Mm.
2: And, um, like, in, in industrial design, um, it's in, incredibly frustrating, I guess, because you see all these amazing female females in college studying mm. uh, design and then they're competing with the guys. And the guys are just like, as, exactly as you said, they will apply for every job. Even if there's not a job, they'll apply for it. So I think there's a confidence issue there as well with young fem- female designers. And, and I think when you see the majority of male lecturers in positions, um, that there's not a balance there. They don't see practising female designers in colleges. So I do think colleges have a responsibility to showcase um, women, even if there's guest lecturers, to come in and show them women in the industry to even let students uh, know. I did a a very uh, short stint in Maynooth as a a guest lecturer and it was the first time the female students saw a female industrial designer. You know, we really have to expect the um, colleges around Ireland to kind of, you know, take some responsibility for this as well.
1: Kim, you brought up a very interesting point and actually Aidan, I think that this is relevant to you as well. Um, You both have kids, so Mm. you have maternity and paternity leaves that you've previously taken. And I think that it is seriously imbalanced for men and women. And if men were just given the opportunity to take more time, then women could be able to juggle the work-life balance a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose that would really need a behavioral sh- behavioural shift. It's not something that we can really change on an individual level. But if that is a kind of an, an, an obstacle that we're faced with, how do you think we could improve that system? How that system could be improved even.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I've gone through it very recently. So we have an 11-month-old boy and my wife's a teacher and I run my own business. So therefore, I'm in a lot more control of the paternity leave that I take and being able to structure it in a way that we're both playing our part. You know, there's conversations starting to happen about how you split that leave. Um, you know, how how men can take more paternity leave, which you know allows women to go back to work sooner and bridge that gap. You know, there's definitely direct actions that can be taken in that regard because I've seen myself that the, you know, me being able to have flexibility in my own career and being at home more has allowed my wife to transition back into work a lot easier than perhaps if. After two weeks, I was gone back in full time, and you know, rocking home in the evening at six or seven o'clock. That's that's the difference, and I think maybe practical steps like, you know, the splitting of maternity and paternity leave between both partners is perhaps a feasible way in which we can make some actual practical changes.
2: I think for me, it was probably exceptionally frustrating because I, well, my experience was probably quite old school when my husband says in a family business. And it was automatically assumed and there was no question, you know, Kim's taking full maternity leave and, you know, that's fine. And it absolutely had a knock on uh, effect on my career. So whenever the kids were sick, I was taking the time off when um, if the child was had to take a holiday. I was, you know, taking the time off. And, and I guess I just kind of, I'm talking about my husband now, he's not in the room, but I kind of lost the plot one day with him. And I'm like, we are two parents. I didn't do this by myself. Um, and then he really kind of stepped up and and then obviously took a day off from work if the kids were sick to, to allow. And I made that really well known in my office as well, that it wasn't just me doing this because it was a studio at the time. It was heavily male dominated and i was very aware i was the first member staff to be pregnant and, and have kids one um, well, of the guys obviously had kids but i they were really directly affected with it because i couldn't use uh, some machinery in the workshop um, i couldn't travel at a certain stage with with clients uh, around the world and uh, but then interestingly enough i was actually invited onto a project because i was pregnant. And the clients had requested a female to be um, in the design team. And they were Mormon. And um, so they wouldn't actually talk. So they were doing some ethnographic research. They wouldn't talk to the guys on the team. So they needed to to have a woman on the team. And it wasn't even my project. (laughs) So I had to go. And I was about six and a half months pregnant. And all we did was talk about babies and kids and everything. (laughs) But it was such a great icebreaker that we really got uh, some amazing uh, information from um, from the people the intended users so the guys were kind of blown away by this and I'm like now see the bonuses <laughs> but there's still an awful lot of work to do um, about making it basically a safe space to say you're pregnant because mm-hmm. I I, have, I almost felt like oh my god I need to tell them I'm pregnant like I have clients for the next kind of year to set up projects what are we going to do am I going to get like fired and you do have that thought which obviously didn't happen but it's, you shouldn't be ashamed to want family. Mm. And um, I think companies would be less well-off without that creative talent and the different perspectives. Mm. So you have to allow for people to grow with you and develop and change. Mm. And if you don't do that, I think you're you're a big loss. And I know Aidan yeah. has some great experience with companies that really... Yeah, that. I, I, like it's,
3: all, it's actually all about diversity of thought diversity of life experience and if everyone you have in your company is male and you every woman you has not had kids and like you, if you narrow it in then your business is going to suffer because of it. i've been on the other side of this interestingly you know i come from a hr background i've been in teams and meetings where i'm the only man amongst 25 women and that's not good either because there's not enough Mm -hmm. diversity of thought. Um, So it's really, you know, yes, the conversation here is male-female, but it's actually about bringing as much diversity into the conversation as possible. And as Kim referenced, so I spent many years in Accenture, and I think, to me, they're a company who are really leading the way in terms of this, there are a lot of very visible female leaders um there is a culture where they understand the importance to get as close to a gender balance as possible. Um and I think structures around maternity leave and normalizing the fact that yes, you know or you may have a family, you can re-enter the workforce and you can continue to progress your career exactly the same as your colleagues. And I have a huge amount of respect now that myself my wife have had a kid and I think back to some of the people who've worked on my teams who've had three, four kids and have worked just as hard as me and they were going home to three or four kids in the evening I just am blown away now when I reflect on that at the stage I'm in my career and think how they did it so you know, that's incredibly resilient people. That's people who are able to multitask and prioritize their work. Like, that's a skill that you want in your business. So it's about creating the systems that encourage that. And I think a company like Accenture or someone that I would definitely point people towards to say, look what they do. They're not paying lip service to this. They're actually practically putting steps in place from having a chief HR officer who's a female right down through the rest of the organisation. So there are ways to do it. It takes hard work. It takes commitment to it. It's not about paying lip service. It's about actually putting practical steps, but everyone benefits from it.
2: Mm, And Aidan's brought up a really good point about actually just not having circular conversations uh, amongst women, that it has to be a 50-50 conversation so that, you know, when you you see that stat 11% of female creative directors, so you're dealing with, 89% of the audience and if you exclude them nothing is going to change Mm. so we have to have men in the room when we're talking about this and it's brilliant Aidan's so vocal about it and 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 it's part of why design because we need that male perspective because again balance of thought um men really need to appreciate why there's like a business advantage to women in the room but also a cultural advantage Mm. um and it's not just a moral thing. It's it's so much bigger than that. Um, and I, and I, I love talking about the companies that are really making um hedgeway in this. And again, I think, okay, gender balance is one tier. And then again, there's that whole other side of things where, you know, it's inclusivity. It's mm. about um, different people from different places in the world. And if you're sitting in the same room and we all look like each other, then that's an issue.
3: I think... If there's there are people listening to this podcast who are in a position where they're hiring or they're in they're in control or, or managing the hiring in their organization or even just people progressing through their company, there are practical steps that you can take. There are, you know, there are things that I do with my clients that, you know, we sit down and we look at the, the role profile, or we sit down, you know, if you're thinking about people progressing through your company. How are you framing, you know, a potential new role within your company? If it's a uh, two or three people going for a promotion, how is that being positioned? And think about the language that you're using, and, and just reflect back on that stat that I mentioned earlier on, which is, you know, perhaps the females in your organisation will only go for a role if they feel they 100% meet the criteria. Mm. If that's the case, you need to critically analyse what you're putting in that role profile. Mm. Is is everything critically important? If not, can you can you write it in a way that says, look, this is the really important stuff. This is what you're going to need to do every day. This is the stuff we'd love you to have. This is an expectation you might have. Like you have to be aware of those triggers and ensure that, you know, your the way you're going to market with this stuff or the way you're going out to your team is framed in a way that's you know, opening up for an inclusive response. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to have people look at it and think, actually, I don't want to touch that because I I can tell that's not right for me or, you know, my current life experience or my current situation is going to hold me back and get in that role. So there's practical steps, but you have to be number one conscious of it and then you have to actually work on it every Mm -hmm. day.
1: Yeah, there needs to be awareness, but then also action taken Mm -hmm. for anything to actually change. Um, And it's interesting that you mentioned Accenture. There are obviously other companies and initiatives really trying to redress it too. With like Facebook, they're quite good with paternity leave. And I suppose the influence of having Sheryl Sandberg um, does help. And then there's Creative Equals. Um, They do some amazing work over in the UK and Mm -hmm. London. But They've even brought out a new initiative lately. And it's about reintroducing women who have left the workforce um, in the creative industry by giving the mentoring opportunities but also providing placements in places like Grey London and it's people it's women who have left the workforce to raise families and who have left for maybe some reason or other aside from that and it's just amazing to see opportunities like that so it'd be great to have some more of them.
3: And it's about that's exactly what it is it's about increasing the talent pool. Like those yeah. returnship programs that they're often called, that's about increasing the number of candidates you can choose from.
1: Yeah. Like
3: the problem is it's getting tougher and tougher to hire good people. Mm. And if you open that up to another avenue of really skilled candidates who have gone off the market for mm. whatever reason, that's good for your business. It makes yeah. absolute sense. It's just an absolute no-brainer. Everyone should be thinking about it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, And I think that's something we we'd love to look at in in quiet design. Is you know getting out to schools, but also getting pledges from companies about what what's the difference, well what differences are they going to make f- to make sure that they address the balance? They they're open and they can encourage more more female participation at a at a higher level, more senior level, and to encourage more women to get employed. And I think what Aidan was saying about kind of that just that simple thing about crafting those um, um, advertisements for employees is. Is huge just to take the time for that we
0: had a few questions sent in from people who follow us on instagram so we might try those
1: yeah so uh we're gonna call out two of them and they're anonymous anonymous the first one is how can we get into those design studios that are a total boys
2: club yeah i think i think that's a great question um I think just try, ask, walk in the door. I think it's, again, it's a confidence thing. It's really hard to do, especially for a student. But you will be amazed at what you get away with if you ask. And it's something um, I'm i i am getting really uh, good at this. So <laughs> I'm asking for lots of sponsorship and things to try and deliver these initiatives. But uh, people are exceptionally generous with their time. And some of the best feminists I know are men. Mm-hmm. And they will champion women. So I... If you just raise up your hand and say, I'd like to get in here, just look at the studio. I, you know, I want to work in here. And that's exactly what I did when I was in college. I want to work in design partners. There was no female designers there. But as soon as I said that, their ears pricked up and they're like, OK, well, why? Come on, come on in and have a look. And, you know, and then the doors open and then that's your, that's your foot in. Mm. So just try and be a little bit bolder. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would agree and to be honest my advice is actually advice I would give to anyone who, who comes and says to me I want to make a change in career I'm trying to get a foot into a particular industry you have to really want it and to really want it you have to understand it so if you think I really want to get into a design studio I'm going to apply to those 10 you need to know about every one of those 10. Mm. You need to figure out what it is they do, what you would be doing, what you can offer them. Mm. It's not good enough to just send a portfolio mm. and a CV and think, that's my job done. You have yeah. to think, put yourself in their shoes. And I know that can be difficult, especially coming out of college, because you actually maybe don't have an awareness of what the, the working world looks like. But you know, you have to, like Kim did I want to work here. Here's why I want to work here. And that will get their attention because actually not that many people come along and say that. Most mm. people just apply for a role or spec in a, a CV and a portfolio. You actually have to go to them and say, I, I want to work here and here's why. So mm. it's just about being clever with how you approach it. And,
2: yeah. and do and do turn up um, yeah. and get involved in the creative community as well. Um, make your face known. and Say what you care about. And... Um, uh, there was one guy the story uh, who was from New Zealand and he basically turned up at design partners offices every week for about two months and uh, <laughs> I'm free I'm available and I can do this wow. and uh, and he he saw something you know somebody walking past working on something and he said look I just did this would this be worthwhile for your project and he was you know a permanent fixture in almost reception area and he got a job and he wow. was there for three years and then uh, uh, went back to New Zealand but still does work with, with design partners Brilliant. so you yeah. know so if you want it just go
3: yeah. get it yeah I think the employer side of that is and I do a cheeky plug for design talent mm-hmm. but part of the conversation that we're trying to have <clears throat> you know we've spoke to a lot of the universities and what they find is that it's, it's difficult to get the volume of internships that they need mm-hmm. and part of the conversation that I'm trying to push with design talent is to make companies aware of the value of bringing in an intern, and that could be a current student or a graduate, and I think the important caveat is that they're paid internships, Absolutely. because I have a huge issue with that, and I'm sure everyone in the room does, but um, it's about actually trying to spell out to these companies what the value of bringing a designer is. A lot of companies maybe don't have a de- uh, designer at all in the business, and therefore, what do we do with them? What does, does a designer do? What can the value can they add? But that's part of the conversation we're trying to help with and and increase the number of opportunities for people who are either studying or coming out of um, coming out of university. But I think if you're taking taking it in your own hands, it's just that it's figure out who you want to work for, why you want to work there and tell that story in a a compelling way. You're a designer, so you are creative. You can you can do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the second one was, how do you push back against doing more work than you know you should be doing?
2: Oh, it's a really good skill to be able to say no. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but it's 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 about managing your time and saying, oh, yeah, I could do this, but then this is going to suffer. Yeah. Um, or uh, yeah, that's no problem. i that'll be the first thing on my list on Monday. So it's it's about kind of managing their expectations so there's, a, there's I think there's a great book out there like managing your manager mm-hmm. um, and it's really helpful because you know you're obviously understanding where your manager is coming from um, or the person that's organising the projects knowing the stresses and pressures so you always want to be kind of positive but just turn it around just saying "I this is nearly finished it's fantastic and if I give it just 10% more time it's going to be brilliant and the client's going to be blown out the water and then I'm on to your, your needs or your project so I think it's just balancing that aid
3: and like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's you have to have empathy and understand where your manager is coming from, and if you feel like you know you need to understand are they under pressure or something we need to deliver. But exactly what Kim said, you need to make them aware of what you're working on, how much you can deliver, you know what needs to be put on hold to actually do that piece of work. Unfortunately, that's something that that person and a lot of people are going to come up with throughout their career. You know, it doesn't matter what job or what level you're at, there will always be more and more and more pushed at you. And I think that's the best skill to learn is is to say no and, and to prioritise what's important. So.
0: Kim okay, and thank you so much for joining us on this Friday. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to our conversation.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the other podcast, a gender equality initiative produced by Above the Fold.